Thank you, Ashlika, for reading the scripture. Please keep your Bibles open to the portion that has been read. We shall try to follow it as we look through it. We are working on working our way through a series on God's attributes. So for the last three, four Sundays, we've been looking at various aspects of God's attribute, and we shall continue to do so in a few more Sundays to come. Today we shall look at uh, God's love, uh, the depth of God's love, and the sermon outline is given in your Kingdom Opportunity Sheet that has been given to you. Um, we shall try to follow it as we go along. Let me pray before we move on. Our gracious Father, we come before you at this time, and as we looked into your word, we seek your spirit to help us understand and take in what you have to teach us this morning. Help me as I speak, and that, Lord, uh, you will all enable us to hear your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you knew you have only one day to live, what would you do? If you knew you have only one more day to live, what would you do? Now, I think about a year back, I posted something like this on Facebook. And it's very interesting to see how people react to a question like that. Some people said they'll cry the whole day. Uh, some people said they'll pray, pray for more days to be added. Some said they'll cook the best meal and then wait for their time. You know, of course, there are lots of people who say they'll do crazy things. But the list goes on. I think a response to a question like that also tells us so much about our faith. And I could say that many Christians who are responding to that post of mine were responding to, the, to it by saying that they would spend their time with their loved ones. And I think um, as we look at this passage this morning, you know, something of this sort is happening. John's narrative from 13 onwards till 17, or in fact till the end of it, talks about the evening or the night before his arrest. So from chapter 13 to 17 is his time with his disciples. This is not something which he was talking to a huge congregation. He has his own disciples gathered before him over a meal, the Last Supper as we call it. And he was teaching them, telling them before his departure. So Jesus spent these few hours before his arrest and in fact his crucifixion, teaching them about it. Now as we look at this thing, we shall see that it is much more meaningful than what we would actually be doing if we have only one more day to live. Quickly, as we look at this context of the passage before us, Verse 1 tells us that it is just before the Passover feast. Now the Passover feast, of course, uh, the actual Last Supper, as we would often refer to, is more elaborated in other Gospels. John, John does not go into elaborating on the meal um, as such, but he talks about uh, the action that took place and also other things that uh, has been mentioned, has not been mentioned by other Gospel writers. If you look at Mark, four, uh, 
Mark chapter 14, Matthew chapter 6, 26, and Luke 22. You know, detail of the Last Supper is mentioned there. But the Passover feast is an important festival for the Jews. The Israelites celebrate this as at the point when they were delivered from Egypt. So this is a feast of deliverance for them. And as we also see that the Bible points to Jesus as the Passover lamb. So the Passover feast is here, and Jesus would be delivered to be the Passover lamb, so that he would deliver us all from uh, sin. So we shall try to follow this uh, as we look through it. Let's look at the first five verses, the necessity of showing. Why does Jesus, you know, have to do something of this? Verse 1 to 5, let me read once again for all of us. It was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, now he showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the mill, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into the basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. You see, if you look at this passage, verse 1 clearly tells us that Jesus was doing something to show that he loved his disciples so much. The full extent of his love. That's a phrase that has been used here. Today, if we look at uh, our own context, how do we show that we love someone? And I think we give money, we give hugs or kisses. Or we also treat them for some special thing. And again, I think love in the English language is perhaps the most abused words today. It is used for all sorts of things. But God's love, as we see, as shown by Jesus Christ in this passage, is much deeper for us to digest. This act of washing that he would now take forward from here is often, you know, as we look at this passage, often this passage is also uh, most of the time interpreted in terms of humility in service, which is quite true, which is quite appropriate. But I want us to look at this passage today from this second part of Verse 1, which talks about how Jesus was showing the full extent of his love. You know, the extent of his love, which is actually in the, the, the proof of his enduring love for them. This is the reason for the action that is to happen. The reason is being clearly pointed out here in the first passage, first verse itself. And this is the reason for the action that was to come. It is not that, you know, Jesus was telling them, okay, wash each other's feet for the sake of it. No. But he was pointing them to wash each other's feet because of love. You see, if you look at this context, and of course, you know, many of you have already read many of these things. Jesus did an outrageous thing here. He took the position of a lowly servant to express his love. Now, it is said that um, in the ancient times, the land of Palestine um, is, if often, very dusty in summer. And if it rains, you know, it's very soggy, muddy. 
So for a person to walk on sandals, they say that, you know, the roads of Palestine would often, because it's most, of, most parts of Palestine is desert land. So if you walk through it, the dust would be inches deep. And imagine coming to a house with that dusty feet. Or if it's raining outside, imagine coming into the house with dirty, muddy feet. So here, if you look at it, Jesus was stooping down to the level of an inferior slave. Now, it is also said that washing the feet was the, 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 you know, the, the work of a slave, and often the Gentile slave. And they are not expected to wash each other's feet. After all, they are, you know, brothers. But this is humility best expressed as we see. And if you read Philippians chapter 2 again, even though Jesus was God, he became nothing for our sake. He, he humbled himself. Now the question is, why did Jesus have to do something of this sort? Why did Jesus have to express his love in this manner? First, of course, we look at it. He wanted to teach them that love should propel them to serve one another. In other words, to love is to serve. And interestingly, if you look at Luke's account, it gives us more insight to what was happening at that point in time. Luke's account tells us that when the meal was about to be served, uh, if you look Luke chapter 22, there was an argument which was happening between the disciples. The disciples were arguing who would be the greatest among them. The dispute was who would be the greatest. So there is an argument over prestige here. So Jesus, of course, to teach them a lesson that the greatest among them should be the one who serves, took the example of washing the feet. That part is very much clearly mentioned here. You know, as I was preparing this lesson, I was telling Ashuni that uh, I realized that love is service. And of course, she took advantage of it and said, you know, now you have to serve me. So, of course, it is often my duty to make breakfast for him, for her, sorry. And, um, but again, you know, you know, Luke chapter 22, verse 27 says it this way, I am among you as the one who serves. And the Bible clearly tells us that Jesus did not come to serve, but to serve. That's something we should look at here in this context. Love is not just a feeling. It is not just a feeling, but it is an attitude, attitude revealed in action. If we say we love somebody and not do anything, then we are just lying. And again, verse 3 also tells us that Jesus had the power and the knowledge, and the power which has been given to him. You know, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Very interesting. What do we do with power and knowledge? Often when we have the power at our disposal, we squander it away. We abuse it, whether it's in the church or at home. Or, you know, we, we kind of become the boss. But here, Jesus, in this context, of course, it was talking about how Jesus had been given the power and he knew that he was going to be humiliated finally, ultimate humiliation in crucifixion. But Jesus did not run away from the 
coming up, the, the, the crucifixion that was drawing close to him. And Jesus had the absolute power also over his disciples. And I think when it comes to service, when it comes to love and service, it has remained a big challenge even for church leaders, for all people who are in different walks of life. How do we treat people who are under us? How do we, uh, you know, um, treat each other when it comes to real service? I think this passage clearly tells us that real love is engagement. It's not about tolerance. Often we think that, you know, love is tolerance. Okay, you love your neighbor and so you tolerate whatever they are doing it. No, love is about engagement. And I think that's a beautiful thing that we have seen. We're not sharing about how people came over, engaged with him as he was going through these troubled times. And often we have this rigidity even in our churches. Just like, you know, we have our own you know, sits in the church service. We walk into the church service here and walk to where we usually sit. You know, that's the kind of rigidity we have. You know, it's we don't want to really engage. The other thing is also that real love is embracing those who are not like us. Those who are not like us. If you look at this passage as we look at, you know, and... In fact, if you look at um, um, verses 18 onwards, you see how Jesus was actually washing the feet of not just Peter and the rest of the disciples, but also the feet of Judas. He knew that Judas was going to betray him. Judas had already taken the step of betrayal. And yet he took that step to actually give, give him another chance. Love is not about enforcing righteousness. Often we think that, you know, uh, we should be actually enforcing righteousness on other people. But that is not love. That is not what we learn from here. Let's look at the second part from verses 6 to 11, the necessity of knowing. When he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you, wash, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus said, you do not realize how I'm going to, what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus said, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs not to what, needs only to wash his feet and his whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not everyone was clean. Very interesting passage here. Of course, we understand Peter, perhaps the most impulsive among the disciples. He would react uh, to anything and about everything. But we see here Jesus referring to two types of cleansing. One is the bath and wash. Now, of course, uh, here is a literal explanation that Jesus gives later on. He's saying that whoever has a bath does not need to, again, take bath. Because you're already clean, you just have to wash your hand and feet. So there's a literal translation. But if you look at um, how Jesus used these things, you know, often Jesus used simple analogies 
to explain a deeper spiritual truth. And this is one of the things that we see here. He's using the, 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 the two types of cleansing to actually symbolically refer to um, notion of, of spiritual cleanliness that is important for us. The but here is reference to accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior. To be born again. To believe in Jesus and to accept him as Lord and Savior. So if you look at John 3.16, of course, a few chapters before this passage, Jesus explains that there is a necessity for us to actually experience spiritual rebirth. John chapter 3. That there is, has to be a spiritual rebirth, an experience of spiritual rebirth for us to inherit eternal life. Knowing is not enough. Knowledge is not enough. We have to accept Jesus, recognize our own weaknesses, we recognize, recognize our sins, and accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. There is no exception to this. The Bible does not say that you know just because you know about it, you will inherit eternal life. No. Knowing and accepting that you are a sinner and coming and uh, receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior. Peter clearly did not understand this at this point of time. He was talking about this. And then the second wash that has been referred to here is the daily need for God's forgiveness. Daily need to come to God in confession of our sins. Even though we already have the spiritual rebirth, accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, we are still living in a sinful world. We still have a sinful mind and a sinful body. We continue to commit sins. And that is why we need daily cleansing of our sins. So you look at this, you know, symbolically, the bath that Jesus was referring to is a spiritual rebirth through Jesus Christ. And this can only be experienced if we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Jesus came to redeem the world. And that's the central truth of the Bible. The Bible is the story of God's redemptive plan through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And here, Jesus clearly says in verse 8, the second part of it, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. You see, there is no eternal life outside of what Jesus is offering. Jesus clearly claimed that he is the truth, the way, and the life. The way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. This is something which we need to actually, um, you know, uh, see. So the question then is, I think, have we had that but in Jesus Christ? Have we had that spiritual rebirth in Jesus Christ? We need to know that this but, this spiritual cleansing is required. Unfortunately, you know, for Judas, even though the name here is not mentioned, later on in verse 18 onwards, uh, you know, the person who Jesus referred to as the one who is going to betray him is being pointed out in the later part of the chapter. Unfortunately, Judas could not grasp, or even if understood, he refused to be part of what Jesus was planning for the world. And this but, this cleansing, this spiritual cleansing, is important for all of us. If you haven't had the but, the invitation still stands today. Jesus Christ still offers 
this eternal life. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. To be cleansed in that manner is to be atoned of a sin through the death of Jesus Christ, which is required for our eternal life. John 3.16 So the daily confession of sin, which is the later part, the other symbolic reference, the confession of sin, which is still necessary for us. And as we read from here, as I've already mentioned earlier also, that the food washing utterly shocked not just Peter, even though Peter was the one who was reacting to the act of Jesus, it must have stunned everyone. They were all silent. But the very act, as we see here, is also the pointer to the cross, the crucifixion. That the Son of God came down to die a humiliating death to redeem us sinners to himself. And Jesus took that very nature of a slave to wash the dirty feet of the disciples to actually show that he has to undergo that painful, painful death, and even to be betrayed by one of his own. Imagine the situation that Jesus might have been going through. We can never be able to understand the full extent of it. But imagine that he knew that Judas was going to betray him. He already had made plans, and yet still he stooped down in front of Judas to wash his feet, giving Judas the last chance. Perhaps a final chance. Can we do that? And I think, you know, often we react in perhaps a very humanly manner. If somebody is not good to us, we utterly, you know, turn away our face. That's, that's our instinct. But I think this is a pointer for us today. That as a community of believers, I think even though it may pain us, to serve somebody who has not done you any good. It may be painful, but here is an example for us to step in and do what has been given us as an example. Let's look at the second, third part of uh, our um, passage today. The necessity of following, verses 12 to 17. Then he had finished, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on the clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also, have, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do, as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that I, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And I think this is the hard part of the whole passage. Here is the passage for us that is commanded by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is very clear that we are to follow God's example. The follow, follow the example that Jesus had laid down. He gives us these implied reasons by referring to the master and the slave dichotomy here. The sender and the message. How the messenger is never greater than the one who sent him. Nor is the slave greater than the master. And he says that you rightly called me teacher and Lord. Disciples have no other option. That you follow me if you are really my big disciple. And often I think um, it's easier than done. 
to say and not follow. Often many Christians, perhaps including all of us, you know, remain a lip service Christian. It's easy for us to say, yes, Lord, amen to what the Bible says. But when we take the step to do what has been said here, it is the hard part of it. And the key verse in this passage is verse 17, the last verse, which says, Now that you have known these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now, of course, the word if is a conditional word. Now, often, if we are not experiencing blessings in our life, perhaps we should, you know, evaluate our own life if we are actually doing what God wants us to do. Perhaps we are not receiving God's blessing because we are not following what God has taught us. We can't cry that we are not receiving God's blessing if we are not doing what it is. We can't be just recipient of things if we are not following what Jesus has taught us. And in the same way, Jesus goes on in a later part of this chapter to say that uh, in verses 34 and 35, he says, I give you a new command. Let me read that for all of us. A new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I mean, if you look at it, you must be wondering what new is this commandment about. This has been told even in the Old Testament. People who are actually listening to him at this point. The disciples knew that these are essentially not new. But the new part of this is the stress on how he has shown as an example. Jesus said, just as I have done, so you must do. You know, to love another person in our own standard is easy. But to love another person in the standard of Jesus is not an easy thing. That is the new part of this command. To love another person in a Christ-like love is what the disciples are instructed to do here. That's the command that we are to follow. And as I was preparing this uh, sermon, I came across a very small illustration. A preacher once asked his congregation, what do you do with the commandments of the Bible? What do you do with the commandments of the Bible? And the congregation went all silent. But after a while, an old lady from somewhere in the congregation rose up, raised up, raised her hand. And she reluctantly said, I underline them in blue. You know, I underline them in blue. You see, underlining is an acknowledgement of God's command that is there in the Bible. But what matters is putting them into practice. Do we just acknowledge that the commandments are there and we underline them in red or blue or black or whatever colors you use? But what is important for us is to put it into practice. And I think we are like that old lady often. We underline them. We know where it is. But the hard part is whether we are actually putting into practice what we are, um, what we have learned. So to just bring this into a conclusion, this passage as we looked at clearly teaches us that our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, has shown us the supreme example 
And we as his disciples today have no other option. We cannot just merely acknowledge this commandment which is there clearly before us. But we are to put them into practice. So as we see here, to love is to serve. How do we serve one another today? How do husbands serve the wife? How do wives serve the husband? Often, I think, you know, that is where we come, you know, because we have a system which was already in place. Most of the time, most cultures have a patriarchal culture. We ended up enforcing power over wives. And that's what we see even in our Christian cultures. We think that it's the wife's duty to serve us all the time. You know, I remember, you know, one of the workshops, workshops which we had with Sharmila and Randall, you know, they were giving us example. Of course, I won't name the couple, but when it came for um, counseling, the, you know, before marriage, uh, the wife, uh, sorry, the soon-to-be husband was willingly serving the wife chai, coffee. And I, I hope that the husband is continuing to do that even after marriage. You know, I think it's easier for us when we are still in love and, you know, do those things. But often we end up stopping our act of service after marriage. The whole question for us, I think, for us to ask is, how do we do this today? How do we show genuine love for each other as Jesus has taught us? I think one thing we can do is forgive one another. Unforgiveness is a sin. Often we see these grudges in the eyes of people around us. Do we have anything that you do not like another person, in another person? How do we approach them, engage with them, and not enforce your righteousness upon the person, but also lovingly correct if that person is wrong, or come in submission to say that you are sorry if you have done something wrong. Often, often, even in churches, we see lots of people not seeing eye to eye because somebody has hurt them. I think forgiveness is very important for us. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 says that we are to forgive one another out of love for Christ. Not because that person has done you a favor all the time. So we need to look at it in that manner. We have to consider the interest of other. That's the second point I want to say. That in order to show genuine love for each other, we have to consider the interest of others before our interest. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 7, talks about this. That we are to actually put our interest behind the interest of others. Not to assert our righteousness again but to consider the others better. Philippians chapter 2. To consider the other person better. That's not the world thinks. That's not how the world sees it. That's not what the world is teaching us today. The world is teaching us, you should consider yourself better. You know, you have the potential. But for us, I think that's the example for us. Thirdly, we need to strengthen one another and also... Help another person overcome sin. If you see Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 to 3, this is what we see. Now when somebody is 
battling with sin, we are to support that person, strengthen them, and comfort each other so that they can get out of it. And I've seen lots of wonderful stories in this line, even in our church, how some people are struggling and, you know, people, when they come along, pray with them. They are able to overcome the struggles they have gone through. Of course, we have to pray for one another, which is something which I need not even say. One thing we can even do as a church is also encourage one another to live for Christ. Being accountable. You know, Hebrews chapter 10 talks about this, how we can encourage one another and be, you know, a community of believers as we look through this. So the example for us is clearly here. Jesus showed us the example to follow. And the example is not merely to be followed in its, in its simplicity as we see, but we can only truly show that we love one another if we know Jesus, if we know Jesus and we have accepted Jesus. Knowing Jesus is important. And unless we know Jesus in the way he has taught us to know him, we will not be able to serve one another. And the final thing we saw today is that it is not just about knowing and superficial showing, but we have to follow what Christ has set as an example for us. The standard, the Christ-like love, which is not an easy thing for us to do. And yet, that is the command for us. We will be blessed if we do these things. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word that you taught us this morning from John 13. We pray that you'll enable us, strengthen us to put these things into practice so that we may see our lives overflow with your love and that we may be able to see and share your love with another, serve each other and live for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray.